Okay, we're in Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, and we began last week teaching through the Lord's Prayer, and we started that, and so we'll continue in that, and we'll, um, you know, take as long as we want uh, to go through the various uh, petitions that are found in the Lord's Prayer, because in this, Jesus is teaching us not merely a rote prayer by which we just, through vain repetition, just say this magical prayer and all of our uh, dreams and wishes are going to come true. <clears throat> but he's teaching us what the types of things we ought to pray for, right? What ought to be the direction of our prayers uh, and how it is that we ought to, to pray to God. And so it's important for us to understand what he's saying and the implications. It's very similar to the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are given in very short, concise uh, uh, statements, <clears throat> but the implications of each commandment are very broad and wide. And we could unfold those things for for uh, many, many days, talking about all the implications of what is found in the Ten Commandments. So the same with the Lord's Prayer. They're given in very short, concise statements, but the implications are very vast. And so it's good for us to try to understand those things as best as we possibly can. So let's read Matthew 9, or Matthew 6, 9 to 15, then we'll pray and uh, pick back up in verse 9. <clears throat> Matthew 6, verse 9 says, Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and power and glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we come to you, Lord, tonight asking, Lord, for you to uh, teach us, Lord, how it is that we ought to pray. Lord, that you would guide us uh, into all truth and that our prayers, Lord, would not be uh, self-centered, Lord, that we would not be desiring those things that come from the flesh, but rather that our prayers would be geared toward you and toward your glory, Lord, toward those things that are pleasing to you. Lord, we want our will to align with your will. And so, Lord, we pray that you would teach us tonight of those things, Lord, that we ought to pray for, uh, Lord, what it means, uh, Lord, that we would seek above all other things your glory and your kingdom. Lord, that your name would be glorified and magnified in this present world and that your kingdom would come here upon this earth. So, Lord, teach us uh, tonight as we study your word. And, Lord, bless our time together. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so last week we began uh, an exposition of the Lord's Prayer where Jesus is teaching us how to pray. And we did the first... Uh, statement, which is our Father who is in heaven. And then we're going to pick up tonight uh, with the first petition, which is for God's name to be hallowed. Hallowed be your name, right? Hallowed be your name is what he says that we ought to pray for. And we notice that this is the first thing that he mentions, right? He does not first go to our physical needs, to our physical wants, to those things uh, that we need for this life. Though there is a place to pray for those things. He teaches us to give us our daily bread, right? But he doesn't even begin with those things that we need for our physical life or for our spiritual life. The first two petitions have to do with God, with his glory, with his will, right? Which shows that our Christian life and our Christian prayers should be geared and centered not around our will and our desires, but around God, right? That we are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The first and greatest commandment is to love God. So what we should desire and pray for preeminently is for those things that concern the glory of God, his name, right? His honor, his glory, his kingdom, his will, right? Those are the things that should be first and foremost. And this is again, similar to the 10 commandments. The 10 commandments begin with those commandments that show how it is that we love God in the first four commandments. And then the last six commandments Teach us how to love our neighbor as ourselves. Well, here in the Lord's Prayer, the first two petitions deal with God's glory, right? What is good and right in the sight of God. 
And then the last three petitions deal with those things needful for our physical life and for our spiritual life, right? Those things that we need. So we need to keep that in mind, that first and foremost is the Lord. It is God, and that God would be glorified and honored in everything that we do, and that this should be the object of our prayers. So here he begins by saying, hallowed be your name, right? To hallow the name of God is desiring and asking God to sanctify or to set his name apart in this present world. That God's name, which is attached to God's person, his nature, his character, his glory, that God's name would not be used in a base, in a profane way, as is so often, right? In this present world, is God's name typically invoked in a way that is honoring and glorifying to God, or is the name of God invoked in a way that is profaning the name of God, that is blaspheming the name of God, that is showing disregard for God and for his will and his glory? Well, often in the world, for certain, right, in the media, right, in uh, whatever it is that we find, this is what people are doing. They are taking God's name in vain. They have no regard for the hallowing of God's name, that God's name would be set apart, that it would be sanctified, and that it would only come upon our lips whenever it is done in the right way. So this is what we should be praying, that God's name would be venerated in our life, in our home, in our church, and in our world, right? Wherever we go, that God's name would be supreme, that people would honor God, and that they would speak of him in ways of reverence, respect, fear, and trembling before the Lord. Psalm 29. Psalm 29. Psalm 29, verse 1. It says, Ascribe to the Lord, O sons of the mighty. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in holy array. So there, the righteous, right, the sons of the mighty, are to ascribe to God, to the Lord, the glory due his name, right? The name of God is deserving of glory, right? We should not take it in a blasphemous way, in a trite and trivial way, in a profane way, but rather only with honor, with fear, <coughs> with the proper dignity that God deserves, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. <clears throat> says, For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So there, it's at the name of Jesus, at his name, right? Because the name represents the person, the person and who he is. So at his name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, right? This is the way it should be, that people should confess, and when they take the name of God or the name of Christ onto their lips, it should be to, to give him the glory due his name, to ascribe to him glory and honor, to call him the Lord, right? To say those types of things about him. Also, Habakkuk chapter 2, Habakkuk chapter 2, And you'll notice in verse, chapter 2 and verse 14. <clears throat> chapter 2, 14 says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Right? And that means that the earth will be filled with those who hallow, who sanctify, who set apart 
the name of the Lord, right? The name of the Lord, that it would be honored in this way. And again, typically, this is not the case. It's not the case in this present world. Sadly, in many churches, it's not the case. Because even when they take the name of God, even when they do it in their worship, they're not doing it in a right way. Because the name that they're using is devoid of the person and the attributes that are true of God, right? They may say the proper name. They may say Jesus Christ. They may say God. But what they mean by God and what they mean by Jesus Christ is not consistent with the God of the Bible because their theology about God and about Christ is corrupt. It is corrupt, so they're not taking it in the right way. So to take his name in a hallowed way is that we take his name, we call upon his name, but when we're calling upon him, we're doing so with the correct understanding of what and who the name represents. The name represents God and not God as I imagine him to be, and not Christ as I imagine him to be, but Jesus Christ and God and the Holy Spirit as defined by the Holy Scriptures. And whatever it says about him is what is true and right. Now, it's important that we understand that when we're praying for God's name to be hallowed, for God's name to be glorified in this way, we're not saying that we want God to become more glorious than he already is, right? Because God cannot become more glorious. God is the perfection of glory. He is perfectly glorious, right? And he always has been. Even before the world was created, God was perfectly glorious, right? So his essential glory, his honor, right? It does not expand, right? It did not grow when he created the world. It doesn't grow in any shape or form. Now he manifests it. He reveals it. He shows it in different ways, so that people see it. And that's what we're praying for. When we're praying for God's name to be glorious or for people to give him glory or for his name to be hallowed, we're not saying that God in his person is becoming more glorious, that he is being perfected in any way, because this cannot be. God is already perfectly glorious, but we're talking about the recognition of it. We're talking about people seeing and understanding and coming to a proper knowledge and understanding of the glory of God, right? Of what is already true, right? What is already true of God, that people would see that and recognize it and speak of it in the true and proper way. And we should desire this in every aspect of life, right? First, we should desire the hallowing of God's name in our own personal lives, right? In our lives daily, that God's name would be honored in everything that we do. Second Peter chapter three. Second Peter chapter three. Verse 18 says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then may he be glorified both now and the day of eternity. Right? In our life. Right? As we're growing in him. As we're living a godly life. May he be glorified. May his name be hallowed, set apart, sanctified in the way that we live. Also, we should desire this in our families, right? In our families, that our families would be units where God's name is hallowed, right? Where it is set apart and not profaned. Exodus chapter 10. Exodus chapter 10 and verse 1. Exodus 10, 1 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may perform these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I made a mockery of the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So there, what God would do in their generation was not merely for them, but also so that they could tell their sons and their grandsons so that they could tell future generations of what God did. And notice as well how he made a mockery of the Egyptians. 
right? Was God making a mockery of the Egyptians good or evil? Well, according to this, it's good. Does it reveal God's glory or does it make God detestable? Well, according to this, it's glorious. It's glorious for God to make a mockery of the Egyptians because they're idol worshipers. They are idolatrous people. And he wants them to see it, but also that they might tell their children and their grandchildren in future generations about the glory of God so that they also would fear God, that they also would honor God and see him as glorious. Also, we should desire God's name to be hallowed in the church, right? In the church, in the body of believers. Psalm 149. Psalm 149, verse 1, says, Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song in his praise in the congregation of the godly ones. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the sons of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise him with dancing. Let them sing praises to him with a timbrel and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the afflicted ones with salvation. Let the godly ones exult in the Lord. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron to execute on them the judgment written. This is an honor for all his godly ones. Praise the Lord. So there, here, it is the congregation of the godly ones. And who is the congregation of the godly ones? It's the saints, the believers, right? The church, the true Israel of God, right? That's what he even says. Let Israel be glad. He's not talking about physical national Israel. Right. He's talking about spiritual Israel, the sons of Zion, right? The righteous ones, the godly ones. Well, what are they supposed to do? They are to give praise to God. They are to honor the name of God and exult in the glory of God. So we should pray for this in our churches, that God's name would be hallowed in our church, that he would be honored in the way that we conduct ourselves, in the way that we live, in the way that we worship him. Then also we should pray for God's name to be hallowed in this world. In this world, when people turn from idols to the living God, right. right? Isn't that what happens when a person is converted, right? Say he's a Muslim before and he worships a false God, the false God of Islam. He's not honoring the name of the true God. But if he is converted, then what's he going to do? He's going to honor him. He's going to sing his praises. He's going to speak of him in the right way. He's not going to speak of his false God anymore right, in the way of worship, he'll speak of his false God in the way of repentance, in the way of telling others that this is no God at all, but he'll speak of the true God in the true way, in a way that brings honor to God. And we should desire that God's name would be honored in this world through the conversion of the wicked into the righteous. Acts 17 Acts chapter 17. And verse 16. It says, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. And also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. Some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? Others, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is which you are proclaiming? For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. So we want to know what these things mean. mean. <clears throat> now all the Athenians and strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, <clears throat> I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For I, while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. 
Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made by hands, nor is he served with human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life, breath, and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his children. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer, but others said, We shall hear you again concerning this. So Paul went out of their midst. But some men joined him and believed, among whom were Dionysus the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So here, <clears throat> it says there that he was provoked by their idols. His spirit was provoked because the idol takes away from the glory of God. Right? Instead of giving glory to God, they exchange the glory of God and they worship and serve creatures. They worship and serve idols rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. Amen. So here, what this has to do with is the glory of God. Right? That's why the apostle, that's what's motivating him to preach the gospel to them. Right? Though he is motivated by his love for them, but ultimately it's his love for God. His love for God and the fact that when they're worshiping idols, they are defaming God of the glory that is due his name and giving the glory that God deserves to worthless idols. And that's why he's so provoked, which leads him to preach the gospel to them and call them to repent. So we should pray then in this way, that God's name would be hallowed in our life, in our church, right, in our family, and in this world, that in every aspect, every sphere of our life, God's name would be hallowed. We should pray that, and then we should also work toward that, right? This should be what we are doing, right? It's not enough that we pray for these things. We must also give ourselves to them. That's the whole point of praying, Amen. to align our will with the will of God, with the will of Christ. God is honoring his name, so we should pray that God would honor his name, and then we should seek and work and live in such a way as to bring glory and honor to the name of God. Now, how can we hallow God's name, right? What are the ways, practically speaking, that we will accomplish this, that this will be seen in evidence manifested in our life, in our family, in our church, and in this present world? Well, first, we should adore God, love God above all other things, right? When we love God supremely, when he is number one in our life, when we have no, one, no other God before him, when he is the object that we desire more than anything else, this is honoring to God. This hallows the name of God and the person of God because it sets him apart from everything else in this world, right? If something in this world, whether that be a person, whether that be a job, whether that be money, whether that be recreation, whether that be possessions, whatever it is, if something else occupies the place of preeminence in my life, then I am saying that this thing is more worthy of my time, of my attention, of my affection than God. Right. But if God occupies the place of preeminence, then what am I saying? That God is the greatest, right? That God is the greatest. And does that not set God apart? Does that not sanctify God's name and God's person in my life, right? In my affections and the way that I am pursuing him. Psalm 73. Psalm 73. And verse 25. Psalm 73, 25 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And beside you, I desire nothing on earth. 
Right? Is that not honoring to God? You are the only one that I desire. You are the only one that I want. I desire nothing on this earth above you. Right? You and you alone are chief, and you and you alone are supreme. And this is the way that we should be. So we should uh, desire God in his perfections above all other things. Right? And we do this by meditating on his attributes, right? those things that are true of God, that he is the God of holiness. He's a righteous God. He's a God of judgment. He's a God of love, of grace, of mercy, right? of wisdom. Right? All of the attributes of God right? that reveal to us the character and nature of God, we should meditate on these truths and see the glory of God, the perfection of God in these things. And then also in his works. Right, in his works, as we observe God's works in this present world, then that should cause us to adore God right, above all others. His work of creation, his work of redemption, his work of providence. Right? These are the works of God that we see every day in our present world. And as we look at those things, it should cause us to adore God, to love God more and more. Right? And when we do that, then God's name is going to be honored among us. Right? He's going to be honored and hallowed among us. Next, we honor him by trusting in him, right? By trusting in him, believing in him, even when it seems impossible, even when our reason, our senses, everyone else in the world is telling us it's foolish, it's no point, it's of no avail, yet we must trust in God. And when we do, then it gives glory to God. Romans chapter four, verse 20. Romans chapter 4, we'll pick up in verse 18. It says, In hope against hope he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which has been spoken. So shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able to perform. So there he grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. So he gave glory to God through his strong faith, right? Through his trust, his reliance, his confidence, that God was able to do what he had promised. And does this not bring honor to God? Because we're showing through our faith that we trust God, we rely on him, we're entrusting our life to him above our own wisdom, above our own reason, above our own power, that God is the best, wisest, most powerful, beneficent uh, being in the entire universe, and that we are entrusting our lives to him. So that brings great glory and honor to God. Next, we honor him when we worship him properly in spirit and in truth. When we worship God with seriousness in spirit and in truth, then this hallows the name of God. Leviticus chapter 10 Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1. It says, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective firepans, and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, It is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near me, I will be treated as holy, and before all the people, I will be honored. So Aaron, therefore, kept silent. So there, those who worship God, who come near to God to worship him, we must honor him. We must regard him as holy. And how is this accomplished? Well, here, it's teaching us by way of contrast, right? Nadab and Abihu, they did not worship God in spirit and truth. 
because they were willy-nilly, they played loose with the worship of God. They didn't do it the way that God told them to do it. They offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. Well, if God didn't command them to do that, then where did it come from? Well, it came from their own wisdom, and ultimately it comes from the devil. This is the basis for what we hold to called a regulative principle. If it's not regulated, if it's not commanded by God, then we're not going to do it, right? We shouldn't do it. Nowhere in the Bible do we see, for example, uh, that pastors should dress up like clowns, okay? So what should we not do? Dress up like clowns, right? We shouldn't do those kinds of things. It's foolishness anyway. But secondly, it's not in the Bible. So why would we do it? If it's not commanded by God, then we should abhor it. Because the best way to worship God is God's own prescription, right? God is the one who has established his worship, that he is to be worshiped, and how that is to take place. He doesn't just say, worship me, and then figure it out on your own. He says to worship him, and then he tells us, this is how you worship me in an acceptable way. And when we follow the worship of God according to the book, according to the commandment of God strictly, then we are honoring God. We are regarding God as holy because we're not playing around with God. Right? We're taking it very seriously. But when people have disregard for the word of God and say it doesn't matter, right? God's a God of love, and as long as he doesn't forbid it, then it's okay for us to do it. And the Bible says nothing about clowns. It doesn't say anything about that. So since it's not forbidden, then it's okay for us to do it. This is the rationale that people have, and I'm not making this up. This is literally the way that they think. Would that fire would come out of heaven and consume them. Amen. But sadly, it doesn't happen many times, but it will ultimately on the day of judgment. Well, when we worship God in spirit and truth, being strict in our observance of the commandments of God, being meticulous in the way that we understand and the way that we seek to apply the commandments of God to our worship, then that brings glory and honor to the Lord, right? And that's what we want, right? We want God's name to be hallowed, to be honored among us, so we must worship him according to his word because when we do that, we're showing that we understand rightly that God is the best uh, prescriber of true worship, right. that we're relying on him instead of trusting in our own wisdom, in our own ingenuity, in our own imagination, right? Whatever it is that drives people to do the things that they do, if it's not coming from God in his word, it's worthless. It's worthless, it's detestable, it is completely and utterly useless, and we must hate it and have nothing to do with it. And sadly, again, in the churches today, right, the Christian churches, God is not being honored in their worship because they're not worshiping him in spirit and in truth. They're not doing it, right? And so it's not honoring to God. So whatever they say about loving God, honoring God, worshiping God, fearing God, we know it's a lie if they're not worshiping God according to the word of God. So any church that plays movies during church service, right? For example, I don't know, like Life Church, where they have a summer sermon series. It's not even sermons, they're movies, right? And they summer at the movies, right? Y'all, Everybody knows about this? Raise your hand if you know about it. Okay, well, I'll tell you. Summer at the movies. They have a summer series where they play movie clips and then the pastor preaches a sermon at over that movie clip, drawing spiritual truths from the movies that we all love and enjoy. That's horrible. It's horrible because they're not relying on the word of God. Okay, so that is not honoring to God. I don't care how many people like it and how many people go to it. It is actually blasphemous towards God. You're insulting God when you do that because you're saying God's word's not good enough, right? It's too boring. No one's going to come. So we need to spice it up a little bit, you know, with some uh, Harry Potter, you know, Lord of the Rings, maybe Star Wars, right? People love the movies so we can get them to come to the movies. They'll even pay to go to the movies. Out outrageous prices. And that popcorn's expensive as well. They probably give the popcorn away at Life Church. At least they do it at Hazeldale. Okay, all right, number four. <clears throat> number four, we honor God when we deflect honor from us and we give it to him. 
right? This is what we should be doing in our life. Instead of seeking honor and glory for ourselves, we should instead desire that God would be glorified in our life and that we would decrease and he would increase, right? That's the desire that should be true of us, right? To your name, O Lord, be glory. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be glory. Psalm 115, verse 1. Also, James cha or J John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Verse 25, John 5, verse 25 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the hour is coming and is now when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave the Son to also have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth, those who did the good deeds to the resurrection of life and those who committed the evil deeds to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing of my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies of me, and I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. So he does nothing of my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. So Jesus was seeking the glory of God in this present earth. Also, John chapter 3, John chapter 3, verse 29. John 3, 29 says, He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hear him, hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. So the friend of the bridegroom deflects to the bridegroom. He knows that the day is not about him. The day is about the bridegroom. And this was John the Baptist's attitude. And he's greater than all of us. But he sought to bring glory to Christ. And if that meant he decreased in terms of influence, in terms of uh, public ministry, in terms of being out front, then he was fine with that because he knew he wasn't there for his own purpose. He was there for the glory of Christ. And this is the way that we should be as well. We should not be like Herod. Right When the people said to Herod, this is the voice of a God and not a man, Herod did not give the glory to God. He did not restrain the people from saying such blasphemous things. And then God struck him and he died a miserable death. Right, We don't want that to happen to us. So we honor God when we give him glory instead of ourselves. When we deflect glory from ourselves and give glory to him. Next, we honor God when we obey him. Right. When we obey him and do what he tells us to do, then this brings great honor and glory to God. 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel 15. Verse 22. Samuel said, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heave than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. So they are obedience, obeying the voice of the Lord. God takes more delight in that than the formal outward symbolic parts of worship. Though God does take delight in burnt offerings, right, in incense, in sacrifices, when they're done rightly, but not apart from obedience, right? If obedience isn't a part of the worshiper, then all of that is worthless. It's useless. It is of no account at all, right? So because obedience is more important, 
Well, if the worship, these outward things bring glory to God, then how much more when we obey God? When we obey God, it brings him great honor and glory. Also, we hallow the name of God when we sing to him, when we sing his praises, which is to be a part of the worship of God. This is what is happening even in heaven right now, right? The souls of the righteous made perfect, the angels of God in heaven are constantly singing the praise of God. They are glorifying God. And what is happening in heaven should be happening on earth as well, right? Not amongst the wicked. We know that they're not going to do this, but it should happen amongst the righteous. We should be the ones who are worshiping God, praising God, ascribing to him the glory that is due his name. Revelation chapter four, Revelation chapter four, and verse 8, Revelation 4, 8 says, And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Then also, verse 9, When the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders will fall down before him who sit on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast down their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and because of your will they exist and were created. Then also chapter 5 verse 9 says, They sing a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Then also, verse 12. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature and every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things on them are heard saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. So here we see that in heaven, the angels, the saints, that they are worshiping God. They are singing his praises. And is God's name being hallowed in heaven? Is God set apart in heaven? Of course he is in a way that is not experienced in this life, right? In this present earth. Well, if that's how God's name is honored in heaven, then shouldn't we be doing that as well? We should be singing the praises of God. And this should be a part of our corporate worship. It should be a part of our family worship. It should be a part of our private worship of God to sing praises to God. And we even have the songs available to us whereby we are able to sing good biblical songs in tunes that we all know to the glory of God. This is the work of heaven, and it should be the work of earth as well. And it's not going to be done on earth by the Muslims, the Buddhists, the Hindus, the atheists. Are they going to do it? No, none of those people are going to do it. The liberals, they're not going to do it, right? The agnostics aren't going to do it. So who and who alone is going to give God the worship that he is due? Only us, only his children, only the saints, only the godly ones. Okay, also another one. Another way that we hallow God's name is when we fight for his causes. When we fight for the causes of God and are sympathetic toward his work. Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1. Notice here. It says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the twelfth year, uh, in the twentieth year, when I was in Susa, the capital, that Hananiah, one of my brothers, and some of the men of Judah came. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity in about Jerusalem. They said to me, The remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress. And reproach, and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. 
and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I said, I beseech you, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandment. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now, day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you, I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances, which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word which you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though those of you who have been scattered were in the most remote part of the heavens, I will gather them from there and will bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants, who delight to revere your name and make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. So there, Nehemiah is concerned chiefly about the glory of God the work of God, the purposes of God, right? He knows that God has promised to bring the Christ into the world through Israel. Well, how is this going to happen? How is God's name going to be glorified if all of these things are the case? So he's praying to God because of the glory of God, because he desires for God's name to be magnified. And then lastly, we hallow the name of God when we prefer his honor over our own comforts, right, and over our own acceptance in this life, we must honor God, glorify God, even if it means we have to suffer persecution, even if it means we're going to be rejected and we're going to suffer and have afflictions in this present life. If whenever we face those things, we blaspheme God, we speak evil against God, we deny God, we are ashamed of Christ and of his word, then we're showing that comforts, pleasures, right, earthly acceptance, right, the approval of men is more important, more valuable to us than the glory of God. So whenever it comes to the glory of God or earthly comforts or the acceptance of men, we must prefer the glory of God above all these things. And if seeking the glory of God means that our goods are plundered, means that we lose our job, right? Means that our family hates us and rejects us, then we just have to do the will of God and seek the glory of God, even if it means the whole world rejects us and turns against us. Psalm 69. Psalm 69, and we'll pick up in verse 5. It says, O God, it is you who knows my folly, and my wrongs are not hidden from you. May those who wait for you not be ashamed through me, O Lord God of hosts. May those who seek you not be dishonored through me, O God of Israel. Because for your sake I have borne reproach. Dishonor has covered my face. I have become estranged from my brothers, an alien to my mother's sons. For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. When I wept in my soul with fasting, I became my reproach. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. Those who sit in the gate talk about me, and I am the song of the drunkards. So there, because of your sake, right? Because of his love of God, his zeal for the worship of God, he became a byword among the people, right? He became someone who was reproached, who was covered with shame and dishonor, even estranged from his family, right? His brothers, his mother's sons, they didn't want anything to do with him when he did those things that were good and right in the sight of God. So even the drunkards, even the drunkards, 
made fun of him, made songs about him because of his love for God. Well, this is the way that we have to be. We have to love God and have zeal for the name of God that is greater than acceptance in this world. And if it means that we will become a reproach among men and that drunkards will make songs about us, then so be it. Then it has to be, right? Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt. And this is the way that we have to be as well. So when we will pursue the worship and glory of God, even at the expense, right, of our own comforts, right, our own acceptance, even our own life, this brings great glory and honor to God, right? When we suffer for the name of God, for the name of Christ, then God's name is glorified among us because it shows how glorious God is, right? Why would we do this if, if he's not glorious, right? If there's not some reason, some basis for us to do these things. So in these ways then, God's name can be honored among us when we are pursuing these types of things. And this should be the desire of all of us that our, our life, our family, our church, our world would hallow the name of God. Instead of God's name being blasphemed, that instead his name would be glorified. And we know that that's never going to happen perfectly in this life. There's always going to be, be the blasphemers of God. But at least among us, this should be true, that God's name would be hallowed. And then we should do whatever we can to see that God's name is promoted as well, right? And when we hear people blaspheme God, then we should speak up and, and say to them, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't take God's name in that way. If the Muslims hear someone blaspheme their false God, what do they do? Well, they'll go chop their heads off. Well, I'm not saying we should chop people's heads off, <clears throat> but we can at least say you shouldn't do that, right? That, that, that's very dishonoring to God. Okay, well, we'll go ahead and stop there, and uh, then we'll pick up next time on the next one, which is your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven.